This is Small Biz Florida, the podcast designed and produced specifically for Florida small business owners and entrepreneurs. Small Biz Florida, talk that works for Florida. This podcast is supported by the Florida SBDC Network, providing the tools, strategies, and expertise to help Florida's business community thrive. Visit the Florida SBDC online at www.floridasbdc.org or contact your local office and get started on your path to success today. This is Small Biz Florida, the podcast and broadcast. It's all things business across the state of Florida. I am Tom Kindred, your host for Small Biz Florida. And uh, if you've been tuning in, you know that Small Biz Florida is on the road at the JMI Small Business Leadership Conference over in Kissimmee, Florida. We're at the beautiful JW Marriott. It's been an incredible gathering of small business leaders, small business owners, managers, operators, and lots of incredibly experienced uh, presenters who have shared their stories of entrepreneurial success, uh, business strategies. So uh, very productive um, a couple of days at the JMI conference for those uh, that have attended. Hopefully, we're doing a good job of kind of bringing the highlights uh, to uh, Small Biz Florida listeners. When we're on the road, we like to uh, many times uh, have with us our very good friend and standout school of business professor uh, at Indian River State College, our very own Dr. Herb Ricardo. Dr. Ricardo, thanks for serving again as co-host of Small Biz Florida. Tom, it's just great to be here. It's been a great afternoon. It is. It's been a great, uh, great day here at the JMI conference. And uh, we've got one of those incredible presenters from the conference with us right now. We've got Delisa Clift, who is the founder and CEO of Global Business Development Strategist. Uh, Delisa, you are a return guest. Uh, you were with us last year at the JMI conference. Uh, yes, I was, and I am so pleased to be here again this year. <laughs> Listen, we appreciate that. We appreciate your time. We know as a presenter, uh, time is valuable here. Uh, lots of people want um, to tap into your your uh, knowledge and experience, and we certainly appreciate you sharing that that knowledge and experience. So, thank you for your time here. Thank you for inviting me. So, as we do with uh, with all guests, uh, Delisa, just give us a little bit of your background and pathway to uh, to creating global business development strategist. Certainly. So, my pathway probably is a little bit different than others. I actually was working in corporate America as the chief financial officer for healthcare companies, as well as serving as a regional accountant for long term care facility. Uh, management companies. And after a number of years of doing that type of work, I realized that I wanted to do something a little bit more rewarding for me and to also to give me the flexibility that I needed to spend more time with my family and to also take back what I consider as um, being the owner of my personal net worth. And that was starting a business. And I started um, my first business out of my home office while still working in corporate. And I did that for about nine years, and then I decided to walk away from corporate completely and to take a chance on entrepreneurship, and I did that. And I did that and was very successful. Things were going extremely well. I started a small business development agency that basically focused on helping businesses to structure themselves in a way to where they could be successful 
and creating some strategies around business development that might help them to improve their profits and things of that nature. After doing that for a number of years, I decided that I wanted to step my foot into franchising. And so I bought a franchise gym. However, that was not the best decision oh. <laughs> uh, that I could make, uh, but I took a chance at you know franchise ownership. And I successfully ran that franchise business for three years. And then I realized this business is really draining me. Uh, my for-profit business that I created was really supporting the franchise business. And I decided a quick way to exit, and I did that. And it took me a minute to actually regroup, and so I took a hiatus for a while. And I decided to just not do anything in the franchise world at all. And I continued to service the contracts that I had up under the business that I had established myself. And then I got married in 2017. And my husband, who is a services-able veteran, um, we decided to go into business together. And we were actually looking at government contracts at that time. And there was a government contract for the Veterans Administration that required for the company that was going to be a subcontractor on that particular contract to have a service-disabled veteran on small business designation, a certification. So the business that I started, uh, my husband took over. He began to own and control and manage the business. I became the COO of that business, um, which is Strategic Biz Solutions Unlimited, and he became the CEO. However, we were able to become a subcontractor for that Department of Veterans Administration um, pr program that covered VIS in seven, which included South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. And we provided all of their human resource consulting services up under that particular contract. So fast forward, um, until 2020, you know, I was still really wanting ownership of something of my own, realizing that my husband had 100% ownership of strategic. I decided to carve out the human resource element of strategic and move it over into global business development strategies, and that's where it lives today. Nice. And, and you know, you, you unpacked an awful lot there, Delisa. We... Uh... <laughs> A lot. We, yeah, we got to go back a and lot. touch on a couple of things. Number one, <clears throat> you went into you you went into entrepreneurship because you wanted to spend more time with your family, but you bought a franchise. I I don't know, Delise. So we got to we got to have a conversation about that. We do <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, especially of a gym. I mean, you, yeah. my gosh, that's that's probably twenty four seven. Uh, work. I'm telling you, you, yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah. Hats off to you for, for, uh, for, for taking that on. That that's incredible work to to be in charge of uh, of that kind of own that kind of business. So, uh, yes, I'm I I can I can only imagine your desire to find a quick exit uh, there. Yes. Tough 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 work. Uh, but congratulations. Uh, and and I do. You touched also on which I just think's um, you know incredible opportunity. And 
and uh, I'd love for you to just to again speak briefly about it. But you know, understanding those designations, um, you know, uh, you know, disabled veteran certification, veteran-owned certification, minority-owned certification. Those are really so uh, you know valuable certifications in certain you know elements and aspects of, of business. If there's opportunities, obviously you you want to take the the time and, and make the effort to get those certifications. But but talk just a minute about how those how those certifications can really help a business. Certainly, and I love the segue into that quest, that particular question. Because that is part of what we actually do from a business development standpoint. We actually educate other small businesses on the value of leveraging certification. Realizing that sometimes people think that everything that they offer in a product or a service that the government is buying, whether it's local, state, or federal government, but you have to do what we consider as market research. The oh, my gosh. Delisa... Beautiful. Well, I love, love it. Market yes, I love here. it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Market research will allow you to make sure that you're aligning your business up to do business with whatever government agency it is for a product or service that you're trying to sell to them and to ensure what type of certification is that particular organization looking for. That market research will help you to identify that. Just because you get you get certified as a service saver veteran owned business or a minority owned business or a woman owned business does not necessarily mean that you're going to get a contract. Right. You there's work that's required for that. So before you go into the certification, you know, process, which can be very intrusive and it can be very daunting if you're doing it on your own, think about what you're looking to gain from that. How is that going to improve your bottom line? What type of relationships do you already have that you can use that certification for to right. gain a government contracting contract? So yeah. those are some of the things to think about. Yeah, excellent advice, and, and you're so right. It just just because you have those certifications doesn't mean it, it brings immediate benefits. You have to you have to align uh, who you are, your services, your products to to what the government is is seeking in terms of services and products. So, excellent advice. Um, so uh, you, you made the transition, you kind of carved out the HR. I am very curious um, to hear about your HR services. Kind of talk about what you do uh, in terms of, of assistance with your clients uh, in the HR space. Okay. As an HR consultant, we offer what we consider is all things HR. That means compliance. That includes writing your policies and your procedures, um, drafting employee handbooks that are um, true and proven by attorneys. We do have that vetting process in the place as well. And training. So we work with companies to identify what their gaps are. If they don't have an already existing human resource department, then we work with them to establish one if they can afford to have the internal staff. If they can't, then we provide them with an HR professional that can service their needs on a monthly basis. Yep. And uh, just kind of following up with that, um, what is generally the size of the companies that you're mainly working with, meaning personnel size? So are they small businesses with four to six, eight uh, employees, or is it 20 or 30 what, what, um, that, that don't have um, an HR um, department? We normally work with 
almost any business, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some of those companies that might have, I think right now, the smallest number is 50 people and their staff. So for us, we can start with the small companies that might have one to two people that they need to have trained in human resource um, area. Or we can work with the ones that are, you know, over 50 to 100 plus um, for making sure that they have what they need to as far as human resources. And um, do you you ever um, actually run the HR department for them? Yes, we do. Uh Um, We in the industries that we work in right now are restaurant. We work in the um, hospitality industry. We work in healthcare, and we also work with local government. So we have contracts with city governments, and we have um, contracts with the county government to help them with training and development and things of that nature. And and right at the beginning, you were a CFO. Um, for healthcare organizations. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I was actually uh, I ran healthcare organizations years and years ago. So, so you actually make the transition from finance to HR, which we almost never see in business, do we? <laughs> right. Well, and I'll tell you a little bit about the reason why I made that transition. Yeah. I started off with small business, of course, and so normally they didn't have an HR department. So I actually, as a CFO, was in charge of human resources, yeah. um, you know. Benefits and eggs. payroll and everything else. A hundred percent of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I carved out an HR department. I was a very, I was a person that actually started the very first HR department that this home health health company had. They had over 300 employees wow. and no designated HR staff. Wow. And so I carved out the HR department, created the department, put in place an HR manager, and I also put in place the HR administrators that could actually assist because they were statewide. Um, so yeah, working from finance, from being a CFO, you know, to HR was kind of a transition, but I actually moved on to get my education in HR, so I have an MBA in human resource management. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, as an HR specialist and one who engages in that space, uh, as you know, I don't need to tell you, but uh, obviously uh, probably across the country, but certainly in the state of Florida where, where we're operating, um, the hottest, most important topic right now is recruitment, retention of talent. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for folks to find find people. Uh, what do you see going on uh, in the HR space? And uh, your thoughts, innovative ideas, uh, what advice do you have for, for folks looking to recruit and retain a talent? Certainly. Cre- create, being creative is going to be very important during this time. I know that there's um, difficulties in finding staff, recruiting, but one of the main things that we do is look at some alternatives to a standard, I would say a standard way of recruiting. So we got go outside the box. We actually look at other organizations that are doing workforce development and partner up with them to make sure that the skill sets that we need are being communicated and communicated effectively. And then working with other organizations that will maybe have a larger pool of applicants that we can choose from. So, you know, you have to have a creative approach into 
recruiting, no matter whether it's in a time like now or ever, but putting forth an effort to make sure that it's a diverse uh, approach to recruiting. And I think that that kind of sort of opens up the door too. Uh, one of the things that I think has been beneficial for us is to be able to say, okay, this person might not have 100% of the experience that we're looking for, but can we provide OJT? Right. You know, yep. something that will actually, you know, get a person in the door, allow them to feel a sense of belonging and being able to buy into the mission of the organization and be able to promote from within. So, you know, a lot right. of times it's just getting people through the door and making them feel like that they belong and they matter. And when you talk about, you know, innovation in, in workforce, talk a little bit about innovation from the employer-employee, uh, you know, relationship. Do you see, do you see innovative ideas, you know, the potential of implementing, implementing these innovative ideas like uh, four-day work weeks, uh, you know, uh, some of those kinds of, of, of really, and when we suggest some of those ideas to, you know, established employers, uh, you know, there's there's some that almost kick us out of the office. <laughs> you know, they yeah. want to have us tossed out. But I mean, isn't that where we're kind of headed? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to have those kinds of conversations. We have to have those heart conversations, and I say hard and heart conversations with um, businesses simply because of the fact that we realize that people need something different when it comes from employers now. And I'll take for an example my company. We've moved from being able to require our staff to be in the office five days a week and we don't require that anymore. They're in the office three days out of the week and they're working remote twice, you know, two days out of the week. Wow. And we have seen more productivity they're more engaged, right. Right. you know, not necessarily having to be, to show up in an office. When people were so used to being in their homes, showing up right. on a, a Zoom meeting in their pajamas, pajama bottoms, right? And a nice blouse <laughs> right. or a nice right. shirt and tie. Um, making people feel like that there are options. And I feel like that that's what's going to, to work for um, us in this particular work environment. You know, um, Delisa, you know, that would never work for me. I, I actually have to go into the workplace. I'm kind of old school as far as this is concerned. I, would, um, I thought you were talking about your pajama box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, no, it's really interesting. But, um, hey, um, a, a question on your um, global business coaching. Um, so are you doing some work with some uh, international companies or um, organizations or, or maybe American companies that are looking to work overseas? Well, I'll tell you where the name Global Business Development Strategist came in is because I was at the time having a conversation with some people that I was looking to go global with strategic, the strategic biz solutions company. Oh, okay. And I said, okay, I have to create a company that has the intention of going global. And right. that's where global came in. Right. 
And, you know, it's like you tell God your plan, and then all of a sudden he tells you his plan. Sure. And his plan was not global just yet. Sure. I need for you to do work here. Yeah. And I'm still having those same in-depth conversations with some global clients, um, but I'm just not ready to move into that space. You know, and, 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 and that can happen at any time. I mean, we, we live in such an interdependent world, don't we? Yes. That we just never know, number one, when the company is going to go ahead and do that, you know, a company that you might be working with. Um, or that there's a new market out there that you might suggest, hey, you know what, there's a market in South America, there's a market in Europe, maybe Asia, um, that, um, that you might tag into. So I love the idea. Yeah, and I'm very good. open to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So um, I guess uh, in kind of uh, wrapping our segment up, uh, Delisa, what – Give us kind of your thoughts. Where are we where are we headed in this marketplace? Uh, we're we're recovering from a pandemic. Uh, we've had some guests on where we've we've kind of asked the same question. Uh, had an accountant on uh, a segment earlier ask about her small business clients, and she said business is good, things are good. Um, where do you see the market right now? Where do you see small business right now? I see small business being in probably one of the best positions that we've been in in a long time. If we've been able to survive the pandemic and we're here today and we're not and we're still growing and we're still profitable, I see the end of the tunnel being a light that wow. the small yeah. businesses can really look forward to achieving even more. There's so many resources out for small businesses now, so much support for small businesses yeah. realizing that you need us. Well, that, and that's a great point. Yep. And I really do appreciate you you highlighting that, Delisa, because there's so many folks out there that sometimes, you know, they feel like they've got to do this on their own. And, um, and, and I was one of those people, but it was many years ago when I was in business. I didn't know about all these resources. And uh, I applaud... I applaud uh, small business owners and operators every time I see them show up in a seminar or a workshop or a class or attend uh, a function like JMI uh, because they are, um, you know, exposing themselves to to all kinds of resources when you get out and you you engage like this. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate your recognition of that because... There are an awful lot of resources in the state of Florida. Yeah. And that's what our podcast really is all about, is making sure that small business owners are aware of all that's going on uh, across the state in terms of, of business resources and assistance programs. Yeah. And you know what? One of the things I can give a plug for one of the two of the organizations that I actually... I, I hope one of them's ours, uh, Delisa. SBDC, <laughs> of course. And I'm Delisa from says, Georgia. oh, no, now it's three, but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's three. So okay. it's SBDC of Florida, of course, and SBDC of Georgia. Yeah. And I'm a SCORE mentor with Savannah SCORE. Wow. Absolutely. And I'm Superb. also a mentor with American Corporate Partners. Nice. That Amer- right. um, mentors um, the veterans and their spouses. Nice. So again, a wealth of resources that you can choose from that you don't have to be out here doing entrepreneurship by yourself. Delisa, uh, you have done great work. I applaud you. You are strong uh, to have done all you've done uh, to uh, been in corporate America, then left, gotten involved in entrepreneurship, taken on a franchise, uh, gone through the process of getting the business. Um, 
the disabled veterans certified and and uh, working through government contracts. Um, you uh, you have got an awful lot of, of very valuable experience, and we appreciate you sharing that experience and talents with the the attendees here at JMI. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah. And thank you for taking time out to be with us here on Small Biz Florida. My pleasure. How does how does one find you uh, if they would like to get in touch? Certainly, you can find me at the website at www.globalbizstrategist.com, or you can reach us at www.thestrategicbiz.com, and that's B-I-Z. Okay. All right. It is Delisa Clift, founder and CEO of Global Business Development Strategist. Uh, Delisa, again, great work. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. And this is Small Biz Florida coming to you from the JMI Small Business Leadership Conference here at the JW Marriott in uh, Orlando, uh, Florida. And uh, again, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Ricardo. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. And uh, stay tuned. There is more to come from the JMI Conference. And this is Small Biz Florida. This has been Small Biz Florida, created and produced by the Florida Small Business Development Center at Indian River State College. Your host for Small Biz Florida is Tom Kindred. Partners for Small Biz Florida include WPSL and WSTU and Indian River State College, named the 2019 winner of the Aspen Prize for Community College Excellence.